You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 73 of Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And uh, I think I have, I think I own all the follow-up this week. So uh, here we go. Um, I wanted to mention this to you, Mike, because I thought you'd appreciate this. So, you know, I'm a big T-Mobile fan, even though I don't use them now because I get a deal through work, but that's not the point. (laughs) I like them as a company. And uh, I had to pay my bill the other night. Because my wife still uses them. So I had to pay my bill, and uh, I go to log into the website, and their error page, like when the website doesn't load, it says, we're having a carrier moment, (laughs) which I think is kind of adorable. One, because it's just an awful joke. It's a terrible, (laughs) really bad joke. But I think it's adorable because it's... uh, it, it's just like they're riding this uncarrier thing so hard. <laughs> like, like they so badly do not want to be known as like a cell carrier. And has, have they released anything new or is like, I know this is like way detached uh, from all of reality, but have they done any new like uncarrier things lately? There was something this year, but I don't remember what it was. A lot of just switcher type, like we'll pay for your switch. I that may not be new, but I feel like they're trying to sweeten that deal every year. Yeah, and I'll say that they have actually set some trends in the market because I've noticed Sprint and Verizon and probably AT&T, but Sprint and Verizon I know for sure have started to offer deals like this. The difference is they don't really talk about it. They're like super on the down low, like, oh, uh, (laughs) well, since you asked, I guess we could throw you a couple books. So I, I, I got an article I'm, I'm, from adorable. an article from March. T-Mobile said they're locking in their promotional rates forever, and then they they will pay you six hundred and fifty dollars to leave your carrier. So you know, an Ooh. entire unsubsidized iPhone to leave and join them. <laughs> <laughs> Is, are iPhones a, a currency now? They, they are in Cambodia and some other places. <laughs> so this other thing is, I, I feel like I'm I need to follow up on the Pebble. Partially because I asked you like three or four weeks in a row about your Apple Watch experience and partially because I want to just complain about the pebble. So you ready to settle in (laughs) for this? I'm ready for you to talk at me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, here's my general feelings now that I've been using it for about a week and a half, two weeks. Um, The screen sucks like everything <laughs> everybody said about the screen is true there's no there's like a, you're not hesitating or you're just like it's not like well when you're not in sunlight it's just, oh. well no th- <laughs> this is the thing this is the major caveat is everybody who complains about the screen is probably a techie kind of person spends a lot of their time in an office or at their house but in bright sunlight this thing is gangbusters like it's it's beautiful it's the colors are vibrant it's it's absolutely gorgeous in bright bright ass direct sunlight <laughs> in every other kind of light like even if because i've my house I'm, I'm fortunate there's a lot of windows but even if i'm indoors in the middle of the day i still am kind of like half squinting like and right now with just one light on over my shoulder i can 
barely read this thing. I mean, it's it's gray and washed out. And here's the thing that kills me. The backlight, so if, if I turn the backlight on, the colors are not as good as if I just had sunlight like shining from the other yeah. direction. And that's confusing to me because I'm, you know, I'm used to like LCD and LED screens. So apparently e-ink does not respond as well to backlights. When I imagine that just frustration with like, oh, it's just not quite bright enough. Does that affect your, your instinct when you want to react to a notification or you're like, well, I'm going to reach for my phone because that thing's huge and gorgeous. And this (laughs) thing is like, I might squint or, you know, second guess what I glanced and then go like, ah, I got to pick up my phone anyway to figure out what's going on. It, it does a little bit, especially because, I mean, I work in an office-like environment where it's not bright, direct sunlight coming directly from overhead all day. So like right now, and so I need to tie this into the second thing. So they have a setting called Activity Tracker. And the way I took that was you set your Activity Tracker, but then you can use a different watch face. And that was a big deal because with the original Pebble, you had to use the watch face of the activity tracker app. Well, I'm trying to use up because that connects with a, uh, a thing I, I track for work. And the up watch face is like really dumb. It's like really <laughs> it's it's super thin, like lines. It's really, really hard to read, except in extremely bright sunlight. But for some reason, this activity setting is not working. So not only does the screen look terrible in low light, but I'm using this really difficult to read watch face, like which right now, so I'm holding it in front of me and, and the light is casting a light shadow onto it. I cannot tell what time it is. <laughs> like, it's just, it is not serving its function as a watch. Uh, well, that's kind of like the, the first iPhone not being good for phone calls. <laughs> oh, that's true, man. What was antenna gate? Was that the four? Yeah. So they they made it three generations in between it not being a phone. That's not bad. (laughs) Well, it it helps that the product category was actually pocket computer. So it it ended up working out. (laughs) Well, it was three things. It was was a phone. It was an internet communicator. (laughs) Are you getting it? It was an iPod. (laughs) Mike, are you getting this? Yeah. So so here's my, my main issue with the Pebble. And this is really what it boils down to. Like complaints aside... Every single thing that it was promised to do, it does. It's comfortable. It's water resistant. The fitness tracking works well. You just have to use the crappy face that goes with the app you want to use, or at least with up. Maybe with the other ones, it works correctly. Um, the battery lasts a long time. The notifications, you know, get my attention. Everything I was told it would do, it does. I'm willing to take the blame as being the problem here <laughs> because I want it to do a lot more. Like for example, you can only respond to a notification when it comes in. You can't later, like I can bring up my notifications right now and like, Oh, here's an email that I got a notification about, but now suddenly I can't interact with it. Hmm. Like the option is not even there to interact with that email or respond to that text message or anything. The, like the voice thing, like if if I get a text, like I was driving the other day, I got a text message from Susan. My hand was up on the wheel, so it was right in front of me. I could see it. I pressed the little thing. I responded by voice. Worked great. But if I got a text five minutes ago and now I want to respond by voice, uh, sorry, it just 
It's it's like it's uh it's like the high I'm a server of smartwatch notifications. <laughs> it just completely forgets you ever wanted to respond it's like, in sorry, any way. The, the paint of that notification dried on the wall. It's too late. <laughs> yeah, you, you had your chance. <laughs> so uh what this all boils down to is I may have ordered a Moto three sixty. <laughs> you um, totally done did. Which I totally <laughs> done did. And longtime listeners, right, might remember that I actually tried one out before and had some complaints about the battery and and some screen issues and there have been updates between then and now uh including a price drop yeah that was one of the big updates um so well one of the big things is you can disable uh the tilt to wake the screen and i know most people like they really want that but as I've mentioned before, I cannot speak without shaking my hands around like a psycho. <laughs> so if I'm noticing I'm still having battery issues because the screen is always turned on, I can actually disable that. And because of the added functionality of the watch, I'm willing to tap the screen to wake it up. Like I don't consider yeah. that a deal breaker. I wonder but- if they could do a smart setting like if a notification just came in and you tilt your arm, it should light up. But if it's just nothing new has happened don't light it up when I shake my arm like a maniac. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a line of, uh, how granular do you want to make this setting pat? Cause there's the, you know, there's no setting there's on off. And then everything after that is just this confusing, like how granular should we go? You get a phantom vibration. You'd think your watch did something and then you'd be like, ah, I thought, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm lifting my arm. Why isn't the screen turning on? I thought I got a notification. Yeah, so that that just... seems like if 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 they haven't fixed it or if if your Italian arms don't wake it too much, that they'll get that down. I mean, I I don't have any complaints on the iWatch. Yeah, it's not what it's called. I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems like it it works often enough and doesn't seem to be completely lighting up every other second. Otherwise, so except when I want to demo it. For someone else, because I, you know, take a weird, unnatural arm swing of like over towards them so they can see it. And the Apple Watch is like, did you just punch the air? Like, no, I'm not lighting up for that. Yeah, you really have to kind of, you're tall too. So you can't say like, oh, well, look over my shoulder. It's like, hey, I'm going to put your head under my arm near my ribs and I'll pretend like I'm using it as normal. It's surprisingly like, awkward to demo because like if i take it off my wrist which i don't have a problem doing if i hand it over it locks immediately and then like i you know i can put in my pin in front of them or i can unlock my phone and it unlocks the watch but then it, after six or ten seconds or however long it is if it goes to sleep it's locked again and they're like what i was i was gonna <laughs> and like it's just such a personal device that like you know people are like so what do you like about it and i'm like well it's notification i don't know i sound like an idiot i just like it. <laughs> <laughs> i like it because it makes me get up every 50 minutes to eat cookies <laughs> <laughs> well somebody's got to remind you to get those cookies but anyway the long and short of it is this i'm i'm not disparaging the pebble as a device but it's this is a match that is just not meant to be i'm and you know the thing is it cracked me up i actually said to my wife i was like oh do you do you want the pebble susan like when i'm <laughs> when i i start using the 360 and she just like flatly was just like no i have no use for that 
I was like, well, but it, you get notifications. And she was like, yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> so this, uh, this market still has not fully yeah. permeated to all smartphone users. Yeah, I just I still feel like the, our discussion last week that they, they kind of shot for the iPod instead of the, the desktop OS brought down. And that may, that may bite them. Yeah, I'm... I'm with you on that. Like, it's just, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to, I mean, you just said it, like, how do you demo the, the smartwatch to somebody when you're like, oh, well, you can look at my notifications if you can get it to unlock. Uh, <laughs> like it's cause it's, it's really not useful in the moment. Like, a you know, you look at a computer and it's like immediately useful cause you're like, oh, I can understand what I want to do with it. But with a smartwatch, it's like, well, just imagine you won't miss a calendar notification. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a, that's a hard feeling to convey to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the moment when it is useful at that little brief interaction. Cause if I launch into like the giant honeycomb app grid and then like go into Twitter. It's like, well, this took about 10 seconds to load because apps aren't native yet. And also, why would you do this? <laughs> and I just, <laughs> again, I look like an idiot. Like I, I never launch apps directly on the Apple Watch. That could change if they become a lot faster and interesting. But right now they're just universally worthless. Like, well, and if it doesn't completely obliterate your battery to be like, oh, I can check Twitter right on the watch. Oh, it's dead. <laughs> and they do have a lot of little things and I, I, we don't have to turn this into a total round two of watch complaining but <laughs> you know like if I get a, a long email um, you can dismiss the notification by guess what scrolling to the bottom of the email guess how fun that is on a long email um, <laughs> they have this fancy thing called force touch which they did not enable there I want to press hard and then take a meta action on that message so, so you want to you want to poke the email away, basically. <laughs> so then the the last uh, last little follow up thing I have here is I complained to you very recently that Steam games when you are playing with a controller don't show the buttons of the controller you're using; they show buttons for an Xbox controller because they're like hard coded in to be like oh using a controller well surely it's an xbox controller uh but i have a mac and the playstation controller works like it's really complicated you have to plug it in and uh then it works (laughs) and it's pretty awesome and i love my my ps3 controller well i started playing arkham knight uh i think you've been hounding me for um sorry arkham is yeah it's asylum city and then night right yeah yeah, so I started playing uh, Arkham Asylum, which you I, I think you have been hounding me for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were right. It's awesome. I love it. But right out of the gate, the second I, I booted it up, I had my controller plugged in, and it says, oh, hey, it uh, looks like you're using a controller there, buddy. Well, good news. We have support for 26 controller configurations so uh which seems above and beyond i think i file that in above and beyond well it's confusing like i can't even (laughs) think of three like so you have playstation xbox and nothing else matters (laughs) i just don't don't even know what the hell else there is a jaguar controller yeah are people playing with like a uh a super nintendo controller or they they busting out the atari joystick 
I think when I mentioned this to you the other day, I considered someone might be using a flight stick, which I still think is like <laughs> a fantastic visual. Like I want someone to beat the crap out of the Joker using a flight stick. Yeah, at least you glide in Batman. You could use it for that. <laughs> You're like, oh, I need to jump off this ledge. Let me put <laughs> down my controller. Because <laughs> the and you know, so I I praised them, and I have to say, I played the game a little bit before we started. Uh, started recording tonight and uh there was one thing it's the first time it's happened in the entire game there was this one scene where on the screen there was hard-coded like a little pop-up box and it was for an xbox controller it said press b (laughs) i know i was really surprised not only because it had the wrong thing but like the entire ui of that interaction was different than all the other controller helper text so i was like huh maybe that was like a late edition and they did it stupid or something or maybe that was like a really early thing before they decided on the ui of of hover text for button interactions but it is it, i mean it was fine like it didn't break the experience but overall like i want this is now the new baseline i've been spoiled forever every other steam game you're on notice yeah you need to have dynamically uh, dynamically shown buttons. <laughs> so how far did, have you gotten in the game? I mean, the game's like seven years old, so no one can cry spoilers. Yeah, seriously. Spoiler alert, I'm about to talk about a Batman story. Um, let's see. So I just uh, captured Harley Quinn. Okay. I have no idea how far into the game that is. Okay, so there's when you load the game, there's a little percentage thing but I don't know if that's percentage through the story or if that's total game percentage, because if it's total game percentage, then that would also count things like Riddler trophies and secret areas and stuff. So my, my percentage, whatever it is that represents, I think is 24. Okay. So a decent chunk. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I haven't been going out of my way for any extra stuff. So I would say I'm somewhere between a fifth and a quarter of the way through the game. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm loving it. It's super fun. More than once yeah. I've caught myself being like, oh, I'll just go through this next room. And then 90 minutes later, I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good segue. Um, I do want to bump up. We, we have ba- Batman as a topic. Um, you want to jump straight to Arkham Knight? Yeah. Let's um, do it. So the the newest in the trilogy, there's actually four Arkham games, but the third one, kind of like the off-year Call of Duty games, it's like, you know, the, the odd-numbered Star Trek movies. It's like, meh, who cares? <laughs> but um, there's three main ones made by Rocksteady, and so they, they took a break after Arkham City and spent like three years at least working on this one, which is only um, current gen, which we, we got to stop calling PS4 next gen because it's two years old now, but... Um, so I got a lot to say about Arkham Knight and I, I love that you're playing Asylum because, you know, there's a lot that hasn't changed, but you'll, you'll at least understand what I'm getting at on some of these points. As you um, gush. Yeah, as I gush. Um, well, first the bad. So day one, the, you know, I come home, put the disc in and, uh, you can thank me later that I bought a disc so you can borrow this later. Um, That's true. <laughs> um, immediate three and a half gig patch, which is just like, ah, day one. That's a really, I mean, what's a, the high density Blu-ray? Is it 100 gigs? Maybe, though I doubt the games are anywhere near that. So let's say time. it was 50, okay? Let, let's be generous and say it was a 50 gig game. That's still almost 10% <laughs> 
of code in patch. Well, they say every seven years, every byte of your code changes. Or wait, no, that's not. <laughs> um, th- so, you know, that was a whole hour of like, I'm ready to, nope, I'm ready to wait. Um, so that kind of sucked. And it also appears that PC gamers got royally screwed over with a really crappy port that, you know, the frame rate's locked and the whole reason you PC game is because you want unlocked frame rates that are like super high. Um, and, uh, you know, just horrible performance, not optimized at all. So even if you had a crazy good graphics card, it just played like crap. And, uh, you know, they, they outsourced the port to a third party company and clearly you got what you paid for. Um, the good news is Rocksteady is stepping in and like they're actually going to directly fix this port now as the primary developers. So I think PC gamers will get a happy ending to a really crappy, you know, classic like you're a PC gamer and you get a console port and it's as bad as you think it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the I, I can try and open up Steam here while you continue to gush, but is the PC version of Arkham Asylum also a port not done by Rocksteady? I don't know about that. Um, okay, I know I'll, the I'll Mac version. The Mac version go. is definitely a third-party port, but that's I think that's almost always what happens, even when the PC version is first-party. Um, so that's the bad news. The, the good news is the game itself is awesome, and it's a. Uh, um, it actually feels worthy of next gen because when I'm playing it, I, I don't just think, oh, this is a slightly prettier PS3 game. I think, oh, they really couldn't have done this on a PS3. Um, there's just like the city is five times as big. I've never seen a loading screen of any kind other than the initial starting the game load. Um, so just seamlessly, you go indoors, outdoors, you get in the Batmobile, you fly around, you go through into a cinematic, which they're all in engine and they look fantastic. Um, all of it is seamless and then it hands control back to Batman and like it's it's kind of astonishing like there's a moment early in the game where he throws a remote batarang and it looks like full-on like pre-rendered cinema like it zooms with motion blur around the city sees something and comes back and Batman grabs it and it's not like he's in a specific location it's wherever you were when the cinema went into action and it's just like clearly like wow they really spent time on this. Well, and that is something I noticed about the combat in Arkham Asylum. It, I mean, I've I've done martial arts for a long time. I love kung fu movies and even the terrible ones because they're good for their own reasons. <laughs> but a lot of, of games have really awkward um, counter mechanics. So like you're fighting guy A and it looks awesome and then guy B attacks you and you go to counter and the animation just goes like full Looney Tunes. And then a miracle occurred. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like uh, the Assassin's Creed games were the first games I remember this being like really big time uncanny valley because the the animations would look smooth and fluid and believable. And then all of a sudden you would just plant your feet and float three or four meters to one side and like engage a different guy who like patiently waited for you with his arms open. You know what I'm reminded of is in a lot of like sports games, the the way defenders move, it's very magically surrounding the ball a lot of times. <laughs> yes. Especially like defense and basketball games, they're just like magically floating perfect sync with where the ball is. And you're like, that's not, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that I mean, I really appreciate those little details in in the uh, the Arkham games because 
it matters that when you you know you're fighting a guy and you go to counter another guy or you go to catch a batarang that it's not just like suddenly it all worked out you know <laughs> there's like a believable flow to the movements and i'm sure that that's a huge engineering task but it's deeply appreciated yeah um so i have a specific story of so one of the my favorite things about the the rock steady batman games is the they do a good job in my opinion of letting you feel like Batman. And that's like a several different dimensions because he's a detective, he's a badass martial artist, and he's also a superhero and, and he's in a crazy comic book world. And uh, just like, you know, that, that these all play together and they pull it together in the gameplay really well. And so this is, a, this is not a story spoiler, but technically a gameplay spoiler. So... I, just your full alert if you really value not knowing anything and you want to play this game you can skip this part of the podcast but um there's a moment early in the game where you get trapped in a room and there's a you know the main one of the main villains is ranting at you and you can sit there and he'll rant for a long time and the game just kind of is very hands-off until you figure out oh i've got this remote controlled batmobile that's like badass and has like this cannon why am I going to sit and listen to this guy? I'm going to press the Batmobile button. And sure enough, your Batmobile blows the wall in and comes <laughs> in and rescues you. And you're just like, hell yes. That's what <laughs> Batman would do. And the game wasn't like, you know, Navi didn't pop out and go, call the Batmobile. Yeah, I've noticed the, uh, I think you can turn hover text off in Asylum, but I have it on and it's kind of useful for me because since I'm playing in, kind of infrequent short little bursts sometimes i'll be like i'll walk up to a door and instead of opening the door i will punch that door <laughs> because i press square instead of x but that doesn't matter so i don't need hover text right then even though it does pop up it's really unintrusive but when you're in the middle of like a kind of a more crucial thing you get the unobtrusive hover text but the timing of it is really good and it never feels like handholdy, and I don't feel like the Navi like, or the the Mega Man like Mega Man, Mega Man. If you press <laughs> X right now, you'll throw a batarang. Yeah. Like it's it's never like that. And the game does like even in the newest one, it helps you if you're stuck in a room a long time. Either either Batman will think out loud. Like, you know, there's a moment where there's these drone guns pointed and you're you're like on a rafter. And if you drop down, you just get shot and it's like reload. <laughs> and then like, but if you if you don't like if you can't figure out what you're supposed to do. And this is another example of a Batmobile situation. It, the game tries to let you be smart first. And, uh, and, you know, eventually Batman will think out loud like, well, I can't go down there because the drones will shoot me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I, I switched to my smoke pellets because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to like throw a smoke bomb and then I can run and do whatever. And Batman already had an intelligent reason why that wasn't going to work because these <laughs> drones can see through smoke. They have infrared, they have heat, they have everything else. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and Batman wouldn't well, but, even... <laughs> see, but that's a good way of letting you role play because good role playing is really hard to do because your character may be capable of things that you as the player are not. So it makes sense that like you put your hand on your utility belt where the smoke, you know, bombs are. And then he thinks to himself like, no, those cameras are infrared. The smoke won't work for this. Yeah. And it's it like, yeah, that's what Batman would think because he would be like, no, don't do that. 
<laughs> and they didn't they didn't have to break the universe and like either just let me die and then I'd be like what the hell I, I dropped a smoke bomb like they, they let it be part of the universe and his intelligence instead of you know just another annoying hand-holding game moment so I'm really kind of in awe of that gentle gameplay design that they 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 really let you feel great and uh, you know even with the different enemy types eventually like they they do a good like metroidvania style escalation of enemy types so at first they're all just they're just basically punching bags for you but eventually it's like whoa this one has a shield or this one can block or this one actually has these little charged taser things and if you just punch them straight on you're gonna get zapped and like you you have to evolve your fighting style as you go but it never feels like this horrifically gigantic leap to some something you're not ready for yeah i mean i'm still pretty early on in asylum but i have noticed like oh now there's enemies that have like little taser things or they have a knife so you can't just punch them because like they'll stab you so you have to like use your diversionary cape spinny fluffy thing first and like then you can hit them because they're like distracted or you gotta throw a batarang or something like it's it's really smooth and i have to say before i forget uh you you talked about like how when you're in a room and if you stay there long enough like in a puzzle room batman will start to think like you know how can I break through this door? And blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. It's all gravity. And, and <laughs> Kevin Conroy. I love his voice. Yeah, I know. It's, oh, it's, it's so good. I could just listen to him talk all day. But he, uh, I noticed, and this is a, a super minor detail, which is why I'm so impressed that they thought of it, because the, the way the game is, it's like third person over the shoulder camera. So you almost never see Batman from the front, except during fights like for a brief second or during cutscenes. well when he has like one of those little thoughts where he's like oh maybe i can use the batarang to cut the guy down or, or something like that his mouth doesn't move because he's thinking <laughs> like, i know that's like really not that big of a deal yeah he but- would look like a crazy person <laughs> if he was actually talking well, and also then there would be instances where like you're in a room where there's bad guys. And if he thought out loud to himself, like actually spoke out loud to himself, wouldn't they hear him? Yeah. Like He's Batman. He wouldn't do that. So it's like it's there's just there's so many little polished things like that. that just like I'm I'm part of me is actually kind of glad that this game is on the shorter side, because otherwise I could see myself investing far too many hours into it skyrim batman <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well so that's is, kind is, of what is arkham knight, knight is it, it's kind is, of is city and knight are they longer um I, I don't remember how long asylum was i feel like city was a similar length but so they they do they strike the balance there's, there's the main story which i think is about the same length in city as arc as asylum but then it's it's open world so there's side missions there's even more Riddler trophies. There's um, full-on puzzles. Um, you can be Catwoman for some side missions. Um, and then the new one, it's like Arkham City times five is what they said. So, Whoa. All right. So that gives me something to look forward to in two or three years when I finally play it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, I do have a few more ugly things to report. I have had some 
full-on freezes happen while I'm playing. So at this one point, I well, I don't need to say anything about the story. I triggered something and it went into a cinema and like the sound was weird. Like there was no sound effects, just music. And then the actual animation froze. And this was a hard crash. I couldn't even, like I could hit the PlayStation button and go back to the, like the OS. But I, when I tried to quit the game, it, it wouldn't quit it. Like it, it just couldn't do it. And so I, I had to, and I, I did, I shut down the PS4. Well, it couldn't shut down probably because it couldn't quit the game. And so I actually had to do a, a a, a full-on like power cut to the ps4 which i'm not excited to do no those at least those are pretty rare like yeah. when a game crashes you're like oh that was annoying especially if you're a fan of the fallout or any bethesda games like they have a reputation but when you actually have to power down the playstation or even worse like with the i don't know if the ps4 does this but sometimes the ps3 I'd be playing Fallout and I'm just like running through the wasteland and then the entire PlayStation restarts and I'm like, whoa, am I going to boot this up and it's going to be like back to factory specs and all my stuff's going to be gone? Well, and it gives you the scolding message. The PlayStation was not shut down properly and I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah, it's it yells at you like it's your fault. <laughs> So, you know, there's some ugly, the ugly side of modern gaming is you, you, you feel like you got shipped to beta sometimes and, you know, day one patches are just reality now. Um, but, you know, I think overall with Batman, at least the PS4 version, I can't speak to PC gaming. Um, it feels <laughs> like it's mostly a win. Yeah. And, you know, day one patches used to bother me a lot, but I feel like as that's become an industry norm, people have been, uh, by people in this case, I mean like game game developers, have been uh, better about not shipping beta software because they will get ripped to shreds on yeah. the internet. And you know who the internet's full of? Nerds who buy video games. <laughs> yeah. So the very high you, expectations. Yeah, you really don't want people using this incredible communication tool to pan your product. So I feel like they've gotten pretty good about it's like, yeah, there's a day one patch, but it's going to be worth it. It's fine. Yeah. You know, here's a free costume or some stupid DLC or whatever that was already on the disc. So you already kind of paid for it. Yeah. So I think that's all I have to say about Batman. If we want to hop back into our, our timeline to the, the normal <laughs> order of events, um, <laughs> uh, well so we're talking about gaming stuff can i just talk about this mario yep, thing yep do it so some crazy person um made mario including like the appropriate mario physics in the unreal engine for the newest one yeah and i mean it looks awesome and you should watch the video if you, if you didn't get a chance to watch it or you out there you should go watch it because it's like it's technically very impressive and they even had a few different levels that are like more in the cartoony Mario style where they're not Which like, I have something to say about but <laughs> <laughs> well the, you know so they're not like hyper realistic which is what they show at first which is like very cognitive dissonance but my problem with it is this is like a, a perfect example of graphics do not make the game like do graphics make Arkham Knight better Yes, because you want that to be as realistic and gritty and and feel as like true to reality as possible. Better graphics don't really make Mario better. Like to me, the quintessential Mario is Super Mario World Mario, and he looked like crap. 
mean, like, what do, what do you think about this? No, I, I have a lot to say about it. So my <laughs> my philosophical point to make is that um, games, you know, games are gameplay driven, and the graphics should support the goals of the gameplay. And so when I'm playing Skyrim or Grand Theft Auto, and you know, even though there's slightly cartoony aspects to both of those games, or fantasy elements, you might say about Skyrim, um, overall, more realistic graphics is good because it's more immersive which is part of the role-playing of those universes, is you kind of want to feel like part of it. Um, you, It's you in, in a certain way. But Mario, the, the focus of the gameplay is not you. I mean, you are Mario, but it's not like, do you feel like Mario? Or do you have the emotions of Mario? Are you, you know... The, the point is interesting puzzles and reaction, action, platforming. And so, like, the the, the priorities of the graphics, in my mind, are very quickly identifying what you can interact with, um, telling friend from foe and power-ups and, you know, like clear cues on where secrets might be and like all these things that simple graphics helps you do and uh, cartoony graphics. And on top of that, the story and the music and the sound effects are all goofy and boing and um, all that stuff. And so realistic graphics just doesn't make any sense to me in a Mario game. And... uh you know, it actually makes the gameplay harder. And I have an example. Um, one, of, one of my favorite genres is Metroidvania games. Um, side-scrolling games where they have like very light RPG elements. Either you get new abilities or you know, you might get some experience. But overall, you're, you're progressing and, you know, there's, there's very clear rules about how the game world works. And uh, there was a 360 game called Shadow Complex. You ever hear of this game? Mm. I'm going to say the name sounds familiar, but I mean, I never had a 360, so, so I definitely didn't play it. And by all accounts, this game's a pretty good game. It, it, it's actually made in Unreal Engine. It's very realistic. It's got real-time lighting and like, you know, full 3D backgrounds, even though it's a side-scroller. And I actually found this game kind of frustrating to play because it's not obvious what you can interact with. And it's just like so richly detailed that it's just like... I, I don't know what I'm looking at. My character is, you know, 5% of the height of the screen, and there's just so much detail that it's harder to play. Yeah, I, I actually, so I just looked up screenshots of this game, and I, I definitely haven't played it, but the second I saw a gameplay screenshot, I was like, where does the world start and stop? Like, yeah. you have no idea where the platform of interactivity is. I mean, it's beautiful. Like, these screenshots are really beautiful, but you can tell if you, you know, if you hear that critique and you look at the gameplay like this one, can I walk through that door in the background? No, because I can only move left and right, but there's nothing to indicate that I can't go back there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, I that's, mean, to be fair, I just, I, I got to do a full disclosure thing. So the, the guy who made this, a guy? I think it's a guy. It's it's a screen name, so I don't know. So the the person who made this, who has a creepy, creepy Mario avatar, um, <laughs> they they are a oh here there's a picture. It's a guy. Um, he's a 3D artist um, who who makes games and and like builds assets for games and and does 3D modeling and stuff. So I don't think he's advocating for anything with this like hyper realistic Mario. This is how Mario should be. I think <laughs> yeah. he's just like, look at this thing I built. Please give me money so I can keep building. And, yeah. Stuff. And I don't want to detract from like, 
the, the thing this guy achieved is awesome. Like it's, it's very cool and it's very fun to watch. It's actually a, a 60 FPS YouTube video. So it, it's very smooth. And I was kind of jarred at first. I was like, Oh, this is a high frame rate YouTube video. Those aren't, those are still kind of unicorns right now. Um, I don't yeah, see a lot true. of them, <laughs> but, um, very impressive game engine. Like the Unreal 4 engine is clearly very capable of, of rendering very interesting stuff. I, I do have to say, I did not like the cartoony universe thing he made. Um, it was basically like Dreamcast level cell shading with slightly better lighting effects. And that was just like, nah, this isn't good cartoony Mario. Yeah. And, um, if you look in the description of the video, he said like everything is from the Unreal Marketplace. The scripts were all made using like freely available stuff. This is just like an example of my greatness. So <laughs> I think like he, you know, maybe given deeper control over the lighting that Unreal uses and, and deeper control over the textures and things, he could have made it look like mario looks but i mean we already have hd mario that looks like mario and you know what it looks like it looks like mario like it i mean i would say is what is it what's the cat one called is it 3d world yeah okay so that one that's the newest one it's got the the hd graphics and (laughs) and it looks great like it looks really crisp and sharp but it's still super bright crayola crayon colors there are shadows but light seems to sort of be coming from everywhere because everything's <laughs> yeah. like very nicely illuminated so it's it's not the same as as this like what's in this video and and this looks really cool it just doesn't look like mario yeah and i mean and he, I, I feel it, i feel bad ever saying something is like a canonical way like no it has to be this way yeah. but you i don't think you can just go from the mario we have to this mario like there, there'd have to be a transition period <laughs> trans mario let's see it um yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> so you want to jump back up? Yeah, let's in do the, this. In our rundown here. So tell me, I know why you're upset about this Google Play Music thing, but tell tell me what it is so I make sure we're on the same page first. So I, this is just coming down to Google makes cool stuff, but they don't always have the best rollout plan um, for for the market success. And so Google Play Music is uh, launching an ad-supported radio. I actually don't know the full details. Though. They they bought Songza, so apparently this looks a lot like Songza, which isn't something I'd, I'd ever used. Um, but the, the stickler line, and this is something I feel like we see too often with some of the, especially the media-related Google stuff, is U.S. only. And that's always the first comment by international users. It's like, great. You made something I want, and I can't use it without either some sort of VPN shenanigans or you know something else. And uh, the the reason this matters is because Google's competitors are better at this. Spotify is in fifty countries. Apple Music launches today when this episode's released in a hundred countries. And I mean, you could argue the U.S. is the most important. That you know, not only that we have a huge population of people with, you know, advanced tech that are going to use a product like this, um, but that they're somehow thought leaders or I don't know, culture leaders and driving what gets adopted in other parts of the world. But still like, I, I want to see Google compete better on global rollout and not just making good stuff. And the thing that's confusing to me about this is they absolutely have the money. They must have 
you know, clout in these different industries, do they just not care? Like, is it just not worth it to them to phone these favors in and instead just do staggered rollouts? Is there maybe some benefit to doing a staged rollout that we don't know? I have no idea. So this is, uh, I think this was true when they're, when Google Play Music originally launched. This was true when books launched, uh, movies, um, their crazy YouTube music key thing that has fallen off the face <laughs> of the earth. Like all these things have always been, oh, they're, uh, so Google Fi, the, uh, you know, their, their entry into cell markets. That's U.S. only, which seems weird because GSM is an international standard and would work presumably equally well anywhere. So, like, could they just not lock these deals up? Like, what is, why does this keep happening? (laughs) I'm not not one to say they need to have better salesmen or more salesmen involved. (laughs) Um, Because usually you don't want a flood of MBAs ruining your company, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I just so I I have to say I don't pay for Google Play Music because I don't pay for music. Like now that there's broadly <laughs> available uh streaming services, I just listen to ads. Just like when I was a kid, I didn't buy CDs, I listened to the radio. Like I am I'm okay with that transaction. Like you give me stuff, I listen to ads. Every once in a blue moon, I hear an ad that I actually act on, so someone eventually gets their money's worth and uh and I'm fine with that, but um, so you said you haven't used Songza. I have used Songza and I started using it like the week before it was bought by Google, which was just a bizarre coincidence. <laughs> but the way they do radio, I actually kind of like because it's, it's a really small differentiator from the way like Spotify does it or, or Apple music probably will do it or, or any, like even Pandora, because you tell them like a thing you're doing or a mood you're in and you get music back. So you can say like, and and it's kind of smart. So like this afternoon I needed to focus. So I opened up the radio, Google play radio, all music access key tube. <laughs> and, uh, and it, it comes up and it recognized that in my time zone, it was the afternoon. So all of the, like on the homepage recommendations were like, you know, office work music or like, no vocals to help you focus like things that seemed context appropriate. And, uh, actually one of the ones that was right on there, I was like, no vocals. That's what I want. And then it was like, what genre of music? And I was like, electronica, that's what I want. Like one of the top four options. And it's just like, click, click music starts playing. I go back to what I'm doing. So it's actually a really cool experience because I like that more than bands like this, you know, like Pandora, (laughs) Because that that always backfired on me because I would listen to one or two things that I liked and then I would get a bunch of garbage and I was like, do I just not understand what kind of music this band is? So I like them because they're an exception, but I don't like their genre. Like that's it's like a it's hard. Mike, music is hard. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think uh, music recommendation and discovery is an ongoing like I don't feel like I've and maybe I'm just a special snowflake, but like, I, I don't feel you like I, I trust anything right now other than, well, certain friends that are like, that really get me or something. That sounds really weird to say, but really, yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> most of the time, okay. like I have good friends and they're like, dude, you got to check out this album. And I'm like, 
nah. (laughs) 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 And uh, I'm really late to some things, but then, you know, sometimes, you know, you just, you just pop into something and you're like, oh, this is great. What is this? Um, you know, I, I had people telling me four or five years ago, you got to listen to Mumford and Sons. You got to listen to Mumford and Sons. And I don't like Mumford and Sons. And <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like, yeah, I don't really know if I'll listen to those people anymore. But I mean, the, the algorithmic and the computer-based stuff is obviously getting better and better. Um, so we'll see. Even though Apple's big pitch is, well, we're going to use machines with humans to curate. And I don't know how you scale that, but it seems to be their, at least their marketing pitch is human touch to recommendations. Well, and the, so we're getting to the edge of my songs uh, knowledge, but I think they also had a human curated thing that might have been part of their paid tier. I, I don't I don't remember, but I know that the the emotion or activity based thing, whether that's a human or algorithm has been pretty good. I, I don't know if it just seems more accurate or if it helps me, the user, like get to the thing I'm looking for. So before <laughs> it's not that the algorithms were bad. It's that I was putting in bad information. I don't know. I just know that I've had pretty good luck with it. And I'll also say most of the time when I'm using one of these services, I'm going for like background music like i want to focus on something so give me like chiptune or electronica that doesn't have any words because i just want to like zone out with white noise and uh i feel like that's under a little bit less scrutiny than like when your you know childhood friend is like you have to listen to this band they'll speak to you like (laughs) i don't i don't criticize white noise music the same way i do if it's going to be like the song i get married to you know like my first dance you're choosing a movie to watch with your wife versus I just want something on the TV while I do my taxes. Like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very different use cases. Yeah. So maybe the, this Google play thing is terrible and I'm just a really, really cheap date, but I've been having good luck with it so far. (laughs) Yeah. I just, uh, I don't know, just in the spirit of wanting more competition, I want Google to up their game on addressing the audience worldwide. Yeah, I mean, this feels a lot like uh, the way Android updates are handled. Like, they are totally under the thumb of the carrier. And, I mean, this this doesn't it feel like a similar problem? Like, they want to launch a service in other countries, and they're like, oh, no, sorry, we'll wait until you approve it. Whereas (laughs) Apple is just like, we're here, bitches. (laughs) They, They don't have the leverage that they should have, given how prominent Google is in everyone's lives. It, yes, it's, that's what's so damn confusing about it. But let's let's do a little devil's advocate here. <laughs> Maybe that's exactly why they don't do it. Maybe that's the gain. For them, the gain is not constantly flexing the, hey, we're Google, you'll do what we say. Because that would maybe attract some negative attention. Well, Europe's always kind of looking for a, a fight to pick with Google, it seems, every other second. So maybe maybe it's prudent. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe maybe it is, it's, it's like defensive rollout schedules. I don't know. Well, I think it's hurting them. I think they need to figure this out somehow. Now I'm with you. I mean, we're lucky because we're in the U.S., so we always get everything first. But, I mean, it does seem like where you are should really not matter for an online service. Yeah. Like that should 
part of the whole promise of the internet is that physical location is increasingly irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, my, my little tagline, if I were writing like some BuzzFeed post is Google knows how to scale web services, but do they know how to scale content deals? Isn't so. there a rule that any uh, blog title that ends in a question mark, the answer is <laughs> always no. Yeah. There's some law, some <laughs> journalist law. Um, so I guess we could move on. And, uh, so Amazon has uh, come out with a new Kindle, and this is one of those things where like you're kind of impressed. Like, okay, Amazon, you're you're owning it. Like, yeah, there's a Nook, but who buys a Nook? Well, we bought a Nook, but let's move past <laughs> that. Um, you know, if you're if you're getting an e-ink reader and you, you know you don't want an LCD screen to stare at, then you you should buy a Kindle. It's like unconditionally, that's the choice you should make. And uh, yet somehow Amazon is finding you know internal motivation to keep improving their product, even though they basically own uh, the category of e-ink reader. And uh, so they've got this new uh, paper white. I forget the the actual name they have on it. It's got some fancy extra name. The all new Kindle Paperwhite, um, the Voyage, you, the Kindle no, Voyage. No, no, no. This is important in case you plan on buying one of these as a Christmas gift. The Voyage is not the Paperwhite. You're right, but it's still an e-ink Kindle that's even lighter and more expensive. But yeah, but the the Paperwhite. So this newest Paperwhite came out after the Voyage, and I think the Voyage was their attempt to try some new things like with the interface and with the hardware and a lot of people they didn't complain they were just sort of underwhelmed so i think with this new the 2015 paperweight because we have a 2013 paperweight i think but with, with this new one they basically said oh hey remember that thing you liked we just made it better it's the same but better no thanks for that that context but in general i'm just like Oh, you didn't have to improve it. Like the the previous Kindle White was pretty amazingly as good as you need to be for what it does, and they're they're still improving it. And there's like no serious competitor on the horizon that I can name. You know that you would consider. Are you going to get a Kobo reader? Are you going to get a Sony? <laughs> the Sony even make their own e readers anymore? But I don't know. They definitely did for a long time. Yeah. So I, I mean, we have some like five-year-old nooks sitting around, which I've, I never read on. And uh, I think Shelby's just iPadding it now or buying real books, which is another story. But (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, if I were buying an e-reader, it seems no brainer. I would get a Kindle and I'm really tempted by this new paper white. Well, so I have this, uh, this silent agreement with Susan. I don't remember if this was ever spoken, I'm pretty sure it's a silent agreement where um, when I get a new smartphone, she gets my old smartphone and that's how she upgrades because she doesn't really care about smartphones as much as I do. When she gets a new Kindle, I get her old Kindle. And I never really cared about using a dedicated reading device until the first time I sat down and read because I I knew I was going to be flying a lot. So I took her old Kindle. This is a Kindle 3. So we're talking like 150 <laughs> years ago or something. This thing came out. <laughs> Civil and, War just ended. <laughs> yeah, it was a dark time for our country, but it was a good time for, for books. So I uh, I read a book on this this relatively old device. I mean, I think two or three more Kindles had come out between that one and, and the paper white at the time. 
and I still was like, oh my God, it, my eyes don't hurt. The battery lasts literally for a month. Like it's super lightweight. My arm isn't getting tired. Like the experience is phenomenal. And this was several revisions of awesomeness ago. <laughs> if you look at this, uh, this Verge article, they have this kind of ridiculous gimmicky swipey image thing. So it's instead yeah. of having two images side by side, you run your cursor over the image and it changes the image with a little slider, <laughs> which for a comparison shot, I guess is a good way to do it. But the, <laughs> Did you immediately the, just fling it back and forth a bunch. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's like uh, when you clear, you ever use like a magna doodle? There's the like, eraser slider <laughs> yeah. on the side. Chink, chink. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it feels like. But this, so the the comparison of the the Kindle Paperwhite that we have to the new one is just like. But I thought the one I had looked great, and now I'm looking at this, and I'm like, oh no, it looks terrible, and I need to buy this new one. I must. So I, you know, Susan and I aren't aren't big on uh, like secret surprise gifts. So as soon as I saw this announcement, I just sent her. Uh, a message on hangouts and I was like, Hey, look, your Christmas present. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Amazon products, apparently the Amazon echo is now available for anyone to buy. Um, just, just public availability. And, uh, did you even notice that this, ha- I guess we noticed enough to put it in our show notes, but like, does, do people know that? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with no. Um, but I will say this, um, it's 180 bucks. And I have read so many glowing reviews of this product. Just absolute, it's amazing. I can't believe how well it works. I can't believe how much I rely on it. And I really wonder about the lifestyle, I guess, <laughs> of, of how well this works. Because, like, is this something that only works really well if you live alone and you're the only one talking to it? Or is this something that's useful with, like, mom and dad and the kids? Because that's the way it's marketed. It's marketed in like a family environment with a bunch of people shouting on it and other noise going on. So like, I mean, I, I want to try one, but I don't $180 want to try one. Well, as a partial answer to your question, there's a, a five-star review on, on the Echo page I'm going to read a part of. <laughs> so here we go. I'm a full-time writer who works at home. I'm unmarried. I don't watch TV. I don't have a phone. I hate gadgets. Okay, so I'm a loser. But since <laughs> but since Alexa came into my life, I'm no longer alone 24 hours a day, which begs the question, if I'm not alone, who's in the room with me? Amazon? The cloud? The NSA? Anyway, he, he goes on and on glowing. But, but. So I'm going to... Are there permalinks directly to... Oh, I uh, believe there are. Yeah, um, we we need to grab that and throw that in the show notes. Yep, got it. Um, Yay! I mean, um, Amazon but, review like novelty Amazon reviews are as as good as Craigslist posts. So I feel like they figured that out a long time ago. <laughs> well, and I'm looking at uh, the overall ratings, and it has four and a half stars across twenty thousand nine hundred and seventy one reviews. That's <laughs> that's pretty damn positive. I mean, yeah. Generally, I tend to find four and three star reviews to be the most valuable content wise because those are the people who like put thought into their critique. Yeah, you don't, you don't want the people who are just like, no. And then the, 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 the glad handing fanboys that are like, yes. 
Yeah, exactly. And I try and be cognizant of that. If I want to review something and give it a five star or a one star, like I really need to justify, you know, this glowing praise or damning evidence. And I'm, so there's customer images, you know, for the, that go, some people <laughs> upload images and, uh, there's just this one of a guy sleeping with it. <laughs> like so he just had someone take a picture of him in bed, like snuggling, his Amazon Echo, and the title of his review is Alexa, my love, thy name is inflexible, but thou art otherwise a nearly perfect spouse. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just... Uh, oh, I see that. <laughs> oh, no, holy crap. That is the picture that goes with the review you just read. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so this guy... Has is a Casio wearing, first watch. Off, he's, he's wearing, yeah, Casio watch, exactly what I was going to say. But it's like... Now this makes me question the validity of this review. Like, is he happy with the product and he just wanted to be funny or is he just trying to be funny? <laughs> oh man. I don't know. I really want to try one, especially cause I'm, I'm interested in voice recognition stuff and everybody says the voice recognition is just out of this world. I know like, like the, the far field as they call it, you can be standing, you know, in another room and just like, Hey, Amazon, or whatever. Hey, Alexa, buy me a new dryer knob. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we have enough nerdy friends that if we cast a wide enough net, we might be able to find somebody who's getting one or knows somebody who has one and be like, hey, can, can we come over and just try it? <laughs> yeah. Well, we should, do, we should do a Twitter call. Um, do you own an Amazon Echo? Let us know. You can be on our podcast. Ooh, I like that. I'm taking a note right now. <laughs> Twitter call to Echo owners. Hey, people who have things, share your things with us that you have. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're coming up on an hour and we do have several other major topics. What shall well, we do? <laughs> do you want to, uh, I think a couple of these... I don't want to go uh, way, way the hell over here. So yeah. let, let's bump a couple of these and let, let's talk about this, this iOS nine um, yeah. content blocking. So that's one of the things with uh, Apple evolving their, their browser, their mobile browser is uh, they're going to allow a category of, of tool that hooks into Safari called content blocking. And it's not yet totally clear what, how far this will go. But people are suggesting that there will be third-party ad blockers available on iOS, which you might be like, well, on Android, you can do whatever you want at any moment. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, when you, when you look at active share of mobile browsing, you know, even though iOS is not globally the, the, even close to a majority, um, the actual web browsing, that there's a very significant chunk of Safari involved. And... Uh, Having ad blocking could, um, you know, I don't know if this is, uh, Apple, you know, kind of elbowing Google, like we're gonna, we're gonna attack your ad business by building in easy tools for people to block ads or, you know, I really don't think that's really what Apple's doing here, but, you know, it's kind of poses this question and maybe we can avoid the, the ecosystem battle topic and uh, just sort of talk about your own personal life. Um, and I would say I'm not anti ad. Like I don't actually use an ad blocker in regular practice. I just try to avoid horrible websites. Um, 
But, you know, there's an interesting point to be made that, you know, when you surf the web, there's kind of a, without your explicit consent, um, data is being grabbed about you. Companies are targeting you. And, you know, maybe you're cool with Google's, you know, disclosure on how they do this, but maybe a bunch of other websites are really horrible and terrible and you really don't want to just hand out everything to them. Um, And so, like, in principle, I try to not do ad blocking, but... You know, I could see myself adopting it, especially on mobile, because when full screen ads and really invasive, intrusive experiences come into play, it's extra bad on mobile. I'm extra angry. I, I rage quit websites even more on mobile. I don't know if it's the same for you, but, you know, well, maybe that's me, enough to start. A, a full page, like a, a full viewport cover ad on mobile, I find more frustrating because they make the touch target, you know, a single <laughs> pixel. And it's like, at least on desktop, if I really need to get to that content, I can like, you know, finally navigate the cursor. But on mobile, it's like, no, you're not going to track me and accidentally it. touching on this ad. No way. Yeah. Fool me once, crappy website. Um, but I guess my concern is... You know, even if you love ad blockers and this is like you're an iOS user and you're like super excited that you're, you don't have to jailbreak to get this now. Um, is this just gonna like, you know, say it's sort of like when it came down to browsers having a do not track button. The entire advertising web was like, do not do that because we will not obey that do not track thing if you make it on by default. And Microsoft actually got into trouble because they were going to launch a new version of IE that had do not track enabled by default. And all the advertisers were like, if you do that, we're never going to respect this setting whatsoever because we want opt out, not opt in. And part of me is like, you douchey people, I hate you. But um, but pragmatically, how do you avoid that? Like, You don't want to make it so easy to block ads that it just kicks off uh, an escalating arms race of circumventing the ad blocker. But you don't want to make it so hard that only tech people use it. You want normal people to have access to it. Well, I feel like this is kind of a self-regulating problem. And the reason I say that is this. If you use a website and like say, you know, a a tech blog or something, and you notice that the ads are getting like more aggressive, more full page pop-ups, more um, interstitial ads, like in the middle of a paragraph, there's just like, you know, buy this on Amazon, like that kind of thing eventually you will stop reading that website yeah and you'll go to another website that doesn't do that and then when they start to do that you'll get disgusted and you'll leave so i feel like these practices are there and they're maybe even common but they're kind of frequently punished like we 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 stop paying with our eyeballs so to speak you know so it's i mean i don't want to just say like oh well We'll just keep moving house every time the assholes move in next door because that's not a good way to live. But but I feel like there's the the problem in reality is not as severe as some people make it out to be. Now, that being said, there is a little bit of concern that these like do not track settings and other privacy settings exist in such a way that they can just be ignored Right, like it's yeah. not true. It's not truly. It just a expresses a preference. <laughs> it doesn't technologically yeah, do anything. Exactly. So that there's like, kind of like a oh, it has do not track. And I've noticed there's a few sites that I have started reading semi regularly because people 
keep linking to stuff. So I keep landing on these same sites and they're, uh, they're hosted in the, the UK and the EU. And, uh, every time I land on one of these sites, there's a little bar at the bottom and it's like, Hey man, we use cookies and we want you to know that because we're, <laughs> we're, we're being on the level with you. And I'm sort of like, yeah, I, I know I'm not like, it's fine. I just, but sometimes whatever, that comes just, off as like, Hey man, we're stealing from you, but we're we're telling you we're stealing from you, so it's cool. Yeah, we're, it's we're, a little we're, like, hey, we're like, we're using your information, but we're legally <laughs> obligated to tell you. Like, so uh, here's an ad for socks. Well, I just thought, thought of an example of like you go to the grocery store, and when you step out with your grocery cart and you're ready to load your car up, there's an employee. It's like, hey, man, I tagged a tracker on your car, but we're letting you know, and you're just like, okay. <laughs> um, don't do that. Like you shouldn't know where I drive next. That's none of your business. Um, but that's the way the web works is, uh, you know, by default, um, you're basically opted into, yeah, I want to know where you came from and where you're going. Yeah. I don't know. I've never, and I used to be the kind of stupid person who was like, well, I have nothing to hide. And I now <laughs> understand the flaws with that argument. So that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, the fact that like the ad tool behind a website knows that I went to another website is not that alarming to me because the person running the website doesn't know where I was. Google yeah. knows where I was because Google's serving the ad and I'm okay with Google knowing where I went. I use a Google browser to access mostly Google services and also <laughs> on my Google phone. Like I've clearly already made my peace with this. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an interesting development because I still don't know if the general public will care about this, but there are some signs that maybe in some small ways there will be some some culture change here. Um, but we'll just have to see. I mean, uh, I just had something else in my mind. I forgot. Um, oh yeah. Cause, uh, Apple's also like previously, um, native apps on iOS could basically pull a list of all the other apps you have installed. Um, I think it was through some weird shenanigans that like they could scan basically some certain list of, um, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm I'm not a pro I'm not a doctor but <laughs> um Apple's closing that loophole so like tw the Twitter app or the Facebook app can't go oh he has this other text editor installed show him an ad about a new text editor um they, they won't be able to do that and I don't know that that's like the best example of isn't that creepy like normally that that would be a big deal but um they they're kind of going in this direction of like yeah you don't get to know that and whether that just becomes a competitive advantage of like Apple's the only one who gets to know that, or if they're going to stay true to this rhetoric of not even we know that. Yeah. And I mean, that's a serious arms race to try and say like, not only do we not have access to your stuff, but we've set up an ecosystem where no one on the platform has access to your stuff because then that seems like that's going to just draw a lot of ire where developers are going to be like, <laughs> we need to know these things to sell ads because that's how we fund what we're doing. And then if Apple's only comeback is like, but other people could use it maliciously, then legitimate yeah. developers are just going to be like, but I'm not trying to use it maliciously. And it's <laughs> like, I don't know what the right answer to that is, but you're going to have people who are 
just like, well, you blocked all the ads on my thing and now I'm broke. So, (laughs) well, the only reason they get to make this, this high minded privacy pitch is because at least currently they get to say, we're the platform where people spend money. And, uh, if that ever changes that you maybe we'll see if they abandon their principles or not. But so, I, I have a question for you about this, but first I just want to mention because it's kind of oddly appropriate. So I'm still using Google Contributor because I'm only paying two bucks a month. So it's been like an interesting experiment. And there's an ad in the middle of this article about ad blocking. And instead of it being there, it says, thank you for being a contributor <laughs> because it must be a Google ad. So it's being blocked. There actually are some really horrible ads on this page about ad blocking. Yeah, I just think it's kind of amazing. That- it's one of those. So I'm on the it's the nine to five Mac page. That's what you're on. Yeah, exactly. So um, there's up, a giant uh, fake right near green. The top. There's a giant green start download button ad. I hate those almost more than any other kind of ad. Especially when you're Ooh, on any I, site, I don't, I don't see that. That must be the one that's being blocked for yeah, me. Yeah, it's 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 a double click Google Ads G double click net ad. So yeah, this two dollars <laughs> is already paying for itself. Um, so the thing I wanted to ask you is because I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't get all the way through this, Mike. Um, <gasps> I know I'm super sorry. Uh, it's going to keep me up all night. So the thing that I'm curious about is I know in iOS nine. Uh, one of the things they're doing is they're giving like really deep level access to using Safari instead of your stupid homegrown in-app browser. So will these ad blocking things extend to that? So like if I'm in the Twitter app and I press on a link and it opens in the Twitter browser, which is really secretly just Safari underneath, Will ads in there also be blocked? Like, how extensive is this? I, I don't know, though I do know they, they've been making huge changes in iOS 9 to make that in-app browser just Safari. It's just like Google's recent uh, Chrome tab changes to Android. Um, I don't know if that's in Lollipop or is that coming later? But uh, They did some changes in Lollipop and there's some more significant changes coming okay. in, uh, in M. Well, my my vague understanding is that a lot of the same ideas are coming to iOS, so it may be that these these ad blockers will function across the entire system. I I don't know though. Yeah, this I will be interested to see if this is like a huge deal or if it's just kind of like it's complicated and ethereal, so nobody cares, or if there is actually an impact. Like if if websites and apps are really like we can't function because you won't let us serve ads. Yeah. And it's possible, I mean, since this is only in in ultra dev beta right now, it's possible that it's not nearly as aggressive as we're imagining. Like most ad blockers are not magical and perfect and some stuff still slips through. So maybe this only blocks like the truly heinous type of ads. I don't know. Yeah. All right. You want to uh, put a bow on this for this week? (laughs) I I think so. So thank you for listening to flipping tables. Episode 73. As always check out the show notes for links to all these articles we discussed. And you can find that at sunrise robot.net slash flipping tables slash 73. Uh, we love feedback. Uh, me and lions are both on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Medwards music and lions. You are at lions in beta. And, uh, we love 
questions, comments, feedback, everything. You got a topic, you got an article, you you want to be on our podcast and you own an Amazon Echo if you fit both of those pr- criteria, get in touch. Um, uh, we always recommend subscribing to our show, not only because this is our show and we want subscribers, but because that's the best way to listen to podcasts. Um, you know, we're not going to knock listening in the browser. It's great that that's always supported if you, you know, um, want to do that. But if you have a smartphone and you probably do, um, then if you're on iOS, you already have a podcast app. Um, you can search for flipping tables and subscribe. And that way episodes will come to your phone magically every week. And, uh, you won't even have to think about it. They'll just be waiting to be listened to. Uh, if you're on Android, you could use pocket casts or podcast addict are two great options. And then, yeah, you can search and find our show. So highly recommended subscribe to the show. If you want to support us directly, uh, we have a Patreon going. So if you go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot, you can uh, directly donate to us. It will support Flipping Tables, but also all the shows on our network. Um, there's six shows now, including our newest one, uh, Eclectic Readers, a book club podcast. So if you haven't checked out our catalog in a while, go and, and look at the other shows. There's some good stuff going on. And uh, as always, we want to give special thanks to our top supporters on our Patreon, Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Langa. We love you guys. So, so much. All right. We'll see you next week. 